Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're continuing our series through Advent that we're calling The Unexpected King. Now, the, the words of the song just reminded us that it was a long-awaited promise. And there's a carol that says, Come thou long-expected Jesus. And so why would we have as our theme the unexpected king? Well, because the expectations of the expected king were so off in so many ways. For instance, we're going to look this morning at the expected king with an unexpected mission. The mission most people had in mind for Messiah was that he was going to come and he was going to free Israel from Roman oppression. Well, the fact is, uh, the mission that Jesus had was so much bigger than that. The mission that Jesus, Jesus came to accomplish was a much bigger gift than that kind of temporal freedom. I was visiting uh, my grandchildren this past week, and my four-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, Harmony, brought this to me, and, and I'm Baba. And she said, Merry Christmas, Baba. And I said, well, thank you, Harmony. I said, what do you want me to do? And she says, well, it's a hat. I said, okay. It's a hat. And she said, well, stand really still so it doesn't fall off. I said, okay. She was giggling, laughing. She thought it was the most funny thing she'd ever seen. And so she takes it, and she goes and plays, and I'm playing with her little brother, and uh, he's into trucks, and so we're sort of pretending construction, and, and Harmony brings it back, and she says, Merry Christmas, Baba, and I thought, okay, she wants me to do the same thing again, so I, I put the hat on, and she said, no, 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 look inside. And I looked inside, and there's these things that the kids love. I'm sure you've been around them. They're called magnetiles, and they're incredible. They're, they're these all different shapes. They're squares and triangles, and, and they, they stick together. You can make tunnels. You can make all kinds of things. And, and she made a little house and put it inside of the cylinder that was my hat. And she said, Baba, look, a present within a present. And I said, Harmony, that's brilliant. Did you think of that all by yourself? And she gets a big smile and says, yeah. And so then she's playing for a while, and, and what she didn't know is I took one of the, her little brother's trucks and hid it inside of the magnetile house. And I put it in, and I gave it to her. And I asked her to open it. And she did, and she saw the truck, and I said, Harmony, it's a present within a present within a present. And she goes, yeah, that's the best. Well, listen, I'm telling you, in Jesus, we have a present in a present in a present, and it is the best. Because Jesus is one Savior who came with one mission, and yet that one mission delivers three elements of a salvation that can change our eternity. Matthew writes it about it in chapter 1. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, as we read about the gift within the gift within the gift. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to understand, comprehend, rest in, and find great hope in every single aspect of the salvation that Jesus brings us as the greatest gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word Thank you that you've preserved it. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid that it has mistakes. God, you spoke and flung a billion galaxies into space. Certainly, you can do such a small thing as guarding your word to make sure we get it as you wanted us to have it. So God, may we grow in our trust in your inspired word. And may we submit to its authority in our lives, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The key verse here today is verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. There are three elements, aspects of salvation we're going to focus on. Again, the present within a present within a present. One Savior, one mission, three aspects of salvation. We're going to look at how Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins, how Jesus saves us from the power of our sins, and ultimately how Jesus saves us from the presence of our sins. Joseph was told to call the baby Jesus. We are told to call on Jesus to experience these three elements of salvation. First of all, call on Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sins. Now, to unwrap this element of salvation, you need to understand, first of all, what is it that is called sin? And why do we need to be saved from it? Well, many of you have heard this before, but sin is an athletic term. It's actually a term from the sport of archery. And when an archer would get a bow and arrow, and he or she would aim at the target, and they'd want to hit the bullseye, when they pulled the string back, let go, and the arrow flew and struck the target, 
The distance by which it missed the bullseye was measured, and that was called the sin of the arrow. Sin means to miss the mark of perfection. So what is God's mark of perfection? What is the bullseye? It's perfect love 24-7, 365 for God. And perfect love, 24-7, 365 for your neighbor. And oh, by the way, your neighbor can even be your enemy. Every one of us falls short of the bullseye. Not only that, (laughs) the bone arrow we have is what some of our five-year-olds are going to get for Christmas. One of those flimsy little sticks with this little kind of string and an arrow that could never fly straight. And even when we pull the arrow back and try to throw it at the target, we maybe can shoot at 20 feet. God's bullseye and target is on Mars. There, there's none of us that can hit it. Not only that, before we're even born, When we're conceived, the moment of conception, we are guilty of Adam's sin and polluted with Adam's sin. Adam in the garden was our representative. So Adam is the one that first shot the arrow, and he missed the target, and sin entered the world. And every human being who descends from Adam through ordinary procreation is actually born guilty of Adam's sin and polluted by Adam's sin. That's what's called original sin. It's not our original sin. It's original because it started with Adam. It originated with Adam. And we are all guilty of original sin. And because we're conceived with original sin, that is why we then add our own sins. We miss the mark constantly ourselves. So, What is the consequence of being sinners? Well, it is not, thanks for playing, good luck next time. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We are spiritually dead before God. We have no life and no heart with Him. We, Paul says in Ephesians 2, are actually under God's wrath and curse. We need to be saved from the penalty of our sins. So how's that going to happen? Well, the text tells us that you will call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Old Testament word for Joshua, which means the Lord saves or God is salvation. Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins. How? He talks in this text in verse 23 about the virgin birth. Verse 21, the virgin birth. Now, the virgin birth is a big deal. We cannot lose the doctrine of the virgin birth. Why? Well, remember I said earlier that everybody that descends from Adam by ordinary procreation is guilty of Adam's sin and polluted by Adam's sin. So if Jesus was born by normal human relations, he would also have been born guilty of Adam's sin, 
even if he'd never had any of his own sins. He'd be guilty of Adam's sin, and he couldn't be our Savior. But because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't ordinary procreation. He was still human, but he was also divine. Now, this is important. Jesus is his human name. Jesus had to be human. Why? Because humanity as humanity is the one who owes God the penalty. So humanity has to pay the penalty. So Messiah had to be human. And human beings owe God perfect obedience. Where Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeded. So humanity as humanity owed the penalty, and humanity as humanity owed perfect obedience. And Jesus offered that. But the Savior, the Messiah, also needed to be God. Verse 23, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. So Messiah had to be human, and Messiah had to be God. And only God's blood would have infinite worth. So Messiah had to be human, and Messiah had to be God. See, we have these gifts of Jesus saving us from the penalty. On the one hand, we have forgiveness. And forgiveness is a great gift under the tree, under the tree of the cross, It's one thing to be forgiven. It's a whole other thing altogether to be counted as perfect and righteous before God. And Jesus saves us from the penalty by giving us mercy, which means we don't get what we deserve. We don't get God's wrath. And Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins by giving us grace, which means we do get what we don't deserve. Mercy... We don't get what we do deserve, wrath. Grace, we do get what we don't deserve. And that is God's love and favor and delight. The sad thing is this gift of salvation, even though it's been embraced by so many people, isn't really being enjoyed by so many people. Remember the tradition of St. Nicholas? You know, he was a real guy. He he lived in the late 200s, early 300s in uh, what is now modern Turkey. And he was known as a a great bishop. Uh, He was very kind, uh, very compassionate, very generous. And he began by going to the places of the sick and the poor and putting money, cash in their shoes, coins in their shoes. Well, the legend grew, and kids heard about it, and whether they were sick or rich or poor, it didn't matter. All the children started putting their shoes out in hopes that St. Nicholas would fill it with toys, and that's how it all began. But parents, wanting to sort of control their kids a little bit more, in Europe, they added another creature another character. This character ran around with St. Nicholas. And while St. Nicholas was giving toys to the good boys and girls, there was a beast named Krampus. And Krampus 
would find the shoes of the children, the stockings of the children, and he would put lumps of coal in there if they were naughty. I fear that there's some of us that even though we've say we've received the gift of salvation, when we go before God, we still think we're deserving only of lumps of coal. And we live our lives and we think that God is turned into Krampus, that he's disappointed, that he's angry, that he's turning his back on us and just disgusted with us. Now, I'm going to say a couple things. Your feelings, in a sense, are not betraying you. You feel unworthy. Folks, we are unworthy. In ourselves, we are undeserving. But that's the beauty of grace. We are undeserving, but Jesus came to live the perfect life for us. Jesus came to pay the penalty for us. And when we transfer our trust from ourselves and our own record building and our own efforts to become worthy enough to be embraced and rest in Christ's work, we receive mercy and grace. Mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Wrath. Grace, we do get what we don't deserve. God's love, acceptance, delight. Have you truly rested, trusted in Jesus to take away the penalty of your sins? Secondly, call on Jesus to save you from the power of your sins. Look, Jesus didn't come. Jesus wasn't born as a mere fire insurance policy. I'm just astounded at how many people think the sum of the work of Christ is to save us from hell. Now, did Jesus come to save us from eternal punishment? Of course he did. I just talked about that. But men and women, Jesus came to do a whole lot more than merely bring us to heaven when we die. Jesus came to turn back death in every one of us who know him. It's like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Adam and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Every human attempt to try to become more whole has failed. But Jesus came to save us, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the daily power of sin. Jesus came to release a power toward us that will make us whole again. We're shattered. We're shattered vertically. We're shattered horizontally. We're shattered internally. But Jesus came to make us whole again, to make us whole again in our relationship with God, to make us whole again in our relationships with each other, and to make us whole again in our relationship with ourselves. This is one of the gifts 
that remains under the tree of the cross and is often unopened and still wrapped. They shall call his name Emmanuel, verse 23, which means God with us. God was not only with us in Jesus, but God is in us. When we trust in Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. And we can experience daily, moment by moment, transformational, supernatural power if we know how to access it. How do we access it? Well, there's a passage that we always go to at Oak Mountain that I want to go to again here at Christmas. It's Numbers 21. You'll remember the context if you've been here before. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. They're complaining about Moses as a leader. They're complaining about God. So God sends poisonous snakes into the camp. And everyone who's bitten, which is going to be eventually everybody, dies. It's God's judgment. So the people run to Moses, and the first thing they say is what? We have sinned. We've blown it. Please pray to God. Pray for mercy. Pray for grace. And so God tells Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and to lift it up. And then God says, if anybody who's bitten looks at that bronze serpent on a pole they will live. Now, what happened? Okay, Real snakes, real bites, real death. Real bronze serpent lifted up. When people believed the promise of God, when they believed in the promise of mercy and the promise of grace, and they looked at that bronze serpent, there was nothing magical about the bronze serpent. The serpent was what they were to look to that was the base of God's promise, which was where the power was. When they believed the promise and looked at the bronze serpent, something supernatural happened, right? Real venom, real poison, real bites, real death. But when they looked in faith, supernatural power was released. It was activated. And it neutralized real physical venom. If you understand that, you understand the Christian life. Do you hear me? If you understood what I just shared from that picture, you now understand the Spirit-filled life. The first thing we do, do what the Israelites did. We have sinned. Whatever area of life, relationship, honesty, worship, whatever, whatever, we have sinned. And then we do what Israel did. We look. We don't look at a bronze serpent, right? But Jesus said the bronze serpent was a symbol of him. We look to Christ in faith again. Because Jesus didn't come merely to save us from the penalty of sin. He came to save us increasingly and progressively from the power of sin. So as we acknowledge our sin, we look again to Christ. This time not to save us from the penalty. This time to save us from the power. And just like the look of faith released real power to neutralize physical Venom, the look to Christ releases real power to neutralize spiritual venom. And then God promised Moses, if anyone looks, not only will they be healed, but they'll live. There is a life to live. Now, those three things together at Oak Mountain make up what we call the Christian waltz, the three-step. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Repent, we have sinned. Believe, look at Christ. 
fight, step out in new obedience to say yes to righteousness and no to sin until you blow it again. Then you go, we have sinned. Look to Christ, live a fresh life. We have sinned. Go to Christ, live a fresh life. And that's how we experience salvation from the power of sin. Have you ever noticed that there are so many supernatural elements related uh, to Santa Claus? Um, magical stuff. Like, he never seems to age. He's, he's always the same age. He's ageless. He, supernatural. He's eternal. And then, how does he get around the entire world in one evening? He's got to travel at the speed of light. He's like telepathic, supernatural. And then he can squeeze down a little chimney. How does he do that? And he eats all night long, milk and cookies. How does he fit it all in? And then he can fly. How does this sleigh fly? Where did he find reindeer that can fly? It's magic. And then all he does to go up the chimney is just wiggle his nose and up he goes. There's lots of magic around Christmas. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is the Christian life isn't magical but it is supernatural. Are you experiencing the supernatural life? Are you repenting and believing and fighting to experience daily transformation from your sin? Call on Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sins. Call on Jesus to save you from the power of your sins. And then thirdly, call on Jesus to save you from the presence of of your sins. You know, if you look at the New Testament and you study uh, salvation, you're going to learn three things. There's a sense in which a Christian has already been saved. There's a sense in which a Christian is constantly being saved. And there's a sense that a Christian has yet to be saved. That's what this message is all about. There's a sense in which the Christian has already been saved. How? We've been saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin has already been taken away. There's a sense that every day we're being saved. How? As we repent, believe, and fight, as we look to Christ and power is released, we're being progressively, constantly saved from the power of sin. And now there's a sense that we've not been saved at all. Why? Because our salvation isn't complete. Our salvation won't be complete until Jesus comes and brings us home. And when he brings us home, what will happen? We will be freed forever from the presence of sin. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more brokenness. Humpty Dumpty will be completely put together again. Now to show you how God honors Christ and what Christ has done through Christmas and Easter, to show you the wonder of salvation and the beauty of grace. I want you to think through what has happened because Jesus came. I'm going to talk about the four states of, of humanity. Ready? Stick with me. This, I'll need you to be plugged in here. First state of man in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were sinless. But they were able to sin. Catch me? That was their state. Sinless, but able to sin, right? And sure enough, they sinned. So they fell into a second state. 
The second state was sinful and unable to not sin. Right? After Adam and Eve fell, they were sinful and they were unable to not sin. Everything we do as non-Christians is sinful. That doesn't mean we can't have good. It just means in God's sight, it's sinful. Then someone becomes a Christian and they enter their third state. The third state of a human, if they're saved in Christ, is saved, able to not sin, but still sinful. You with me? Now, this is where it gets outrageous. The fourth state of humanity, if someone is saved, saved and unable to ever sin. Did you catch that? Because of what Jesus Christ has done, and this is the wonder of Christmas, because of what Jesus Christ has done, humanity in Christ will end up in a better place than had Adam never sinned at all. Did you hear that? Because of Jesus Christ, humanity will end up in a better place than had Adam never sinned at all. Because remember, Adam, first state of man, sinless, but able to sin. Had Adam and Eve not fell, we would have always been sinless, but able to sin. But because of Jesus Christ, one day when he returns, the second advent, we will be sinless and unable to sin. That is unbelievable, folks. And that is what waits for us. Now, secondary application. What has happened in your life that is absolutely horrendous? Terrible. If Jesus can take the worst thing that's ever happened in history, the fall of Adam, and redeem it to be something that was better than ever imagined, then he can do the same thing in your life through the tragic, terrible, awful, fallen, broken circumstances of your life. As we come to this table, all three elements of salvation, saved from the penalty, being saved from the power, will one day be saved from the presence. It's all here. We celebrate it at this table. The night on which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. We believe this is a supernatural table, right? I talked about supernatural Santa Claus. Well, that's sort of magic, right? But this is real supernatural promise. This is, like, this is like looking to Christ in the wilderness. This is like venom being neutralized. When we partake of these elements by faith in God's promises, God promises to assure us that if we know Christ, the penalty of our sins 
has been forgiven. We've been saved. When we partake of this sacrament looking to faith in Christ, we are progressively neutralized from the power of sin. And then Paul says, do this as often as you eat and drink, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we come to the table, we're to remember that this is just a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb when we will be sinless and unable to ever sin again. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to set apart these elements from their common use. We recognize they, they are not magic. They remain bread and the fruit of the vine. But Father, you promise, just like in the wilderness, as we look to you in faith and your promises, you will release supernatural power. You activate resurrection power in our lives. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to come repentantly. Help us to partake believingly. Help us to leave fightingly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.